Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Well, my friends, in the hope of adding some true beauty to the world, I have a new book. It's called The Other Side of Beauty, and it is now out for purchase. No more pre-ordering. It's available for purchase now, and you can get it anywhere books are sold. And yes, that does include Amazon and my website, leadair.com. In this book, I confront the world's limited view of beauty and its negative impact on us women with a lot of research and statistics there for you. And then I give the you know alternative. I give the other side of beauty which is really about holiness and wholeness. And ultimately, it's the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So when when we desire this, when we desire the other side of beauty, when we desire Christ, we really can become and share true and lasting beauty. So I wrote this book. You can grab it, like I said, on anywhere good books are sold or Amazon, Leodero, all those things above. And you can join in and take part into the other side of beauty challenge there. Now, this podcast, the Do Something Beautiful podcast, is a now proudly sponsored by Haiti 180. Haiti 180 is a nonprofit organization that impacts the whole community with the joy of Christ in Haiti by providing homes, education, healthcare, and a life-changing experience through mission trips that Haiti 180 offers. So Haiti 180, you probably have heard me talk about them before. I have a couple podcasts available back in the archives that I interviewed Sean Forrest, who's the founder of Haiti 180. But Haiti 180 has built an orphanage that houses now 40 children. It has multiple elderly homes for those who have no one else to care for them. They have built a school that now provides education for over 200 children in Haiti. And they now have a medical clinic that they're in process of finishing up. That might sound familiar to you because many of you listeners of this podcast, you are so amazing. You you generously donated your money and we raised over $26,000 for the maternity wing of that medical clinic that is now breaking the ground and being built as we speak. Praise be to God. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're really excited here at the podcast here to have our first sponsor as Haiti 180 because I can't think of anybody better. It's just wonderful. I'm super happy about it. And of course, I vet everybody who you know wants to possibly offer to sponsor the podcast. And this is definitely one I stand behind 100%. I have been there myself. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have been there with Sean Forrest, the founder of Haiti 180, and I am amazed at everything God is doing in him and in the people of Haiti. It's just a fantastic organization. I fully back this completely. And if you're wanting to know how you can become more involved or ways that you can just add more beauty to your life, right? I mean, that's the whole point of this podcast. It could not be easier to answer the call to help the poor of Haiti than becoming a Team 180 member. And that's very, very simple. A Team 180 member is someone who chooses to give monthly on a recurring basis to help Haiti 180 help the people of Haiti. So 100% of all the funds go to helping the poor and keep and keeping this amazing organization up and running. Very easy to do. All you got to do is go to Haiti180.com, click donate. That's it. You set up your recurring payment. You can even do it through PayPal. Very easy. I myself am a Team 180 member. So I give monthly to this organization and I encourage you to do the same. It's such a beautiful an easy way to do something beautiful for God. Welcome, friends, back to the podcast. I am so excited to 
Have you listened to my dear friend, Sarah Swafford? Sarah and I have been friends for, I don't know how many years now, uh, probably six, maybe seven years. She is a joy to be around. Everybody who meets Sarah says that. It is true because her joy is contagious. This girl, I have finally found the one person in the world who talks more than me. This is Sarah Swafford. I love her for it. It's amazing to watch her in presentations because she is able to put out so much information and it's still, you know, audible. It's hilarious. It's informative and forms you. It is so great. Sarah Swafford, she is the founder of EmotionalVirtue.com. She has got some great things available on her website, great resources. Her book, Emotional Virtue, is fantastic. I have it. I love it. We're going to talk about that. Sarah's kind of known in the Catholic world of the person, the go-to person when you're talking about relationships and having a balanced relationship with your friends, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, all of it combined. She is married to a fantastic man, Andy Swafford, who she calls Swaff. They dated in college. They have like the sweetheart story, right? You just love to hate them, right? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But they have got four kids. They live in Kansas. It's great. Sarah and I, we always have fun together when we're talking. She's got so much information in her head, in her head and in her heart. It's like trying to get out everything. I'm definitely going to have Sarah back, so don't worry. I am so excited to have her back so we can talk about some more things going on. Sarah Swafford is one of my favorite people on the planet. I really mean that. She's great. I know you're going to love this. I don't even have to worry about it. You're going to love this interview. Sarah is fantastic. And she talks about relationships and specifically towards women, although it's meant for both, of course. But we address some of the issues us ladies have in our relationships, in our friendships, and why they kind of fall to pieces. And we're kind of not quite sure why. Sarah talks about it. So I just love it. I love this woman. I love her heart. I love what she does for the kingdom. She's a good woman. She's a good mama. She's a good wife. I can't wait for you to listen to her. If this is your first time listening to Sarah Swafford, you're in for a treat, my friends. You are. So here we go. Without further ado, Mrs. Sarah Swafford. Welcome back to the podcast and a very big welcome to my favorite, Sarah Swafford. Sarah, how you doing? So good. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you all the time, but chatting <laughs> on your podcast is even more fun. I know. This is so exciting. We love hanging out together. I can say that, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. My favorite, though, is when we were like college roommates at Steubenville last summer, though. That yes. was the best. Sharing that a bathroom was, was fun. so fun. We were at, we were on the same Steubenville team, which is crazy because they rarely have two women together. We yes. just set a precedence completely. But we, we were, we were rooming in dorms and the dorms there in California. And it was so fun. Yeah. We had these dorm rooms and we shared a bathroom and we were literally getting ready together and sharing plugins and curling irons and all sorts of stuff as we were like putting on makeup and talking about our talks and what we're going to do. And you actually helped me have a massive wardrobe change right before my talk. What wardrobe malfunctions are a thing. I'm always sad when I, like, I'm always jealous of the guys because they like roll out of bed, like put on a pair of jeans, look great. And it takes all of us girls like forever and a day to get ready. And then if you have any type of wardrobe malfunction, you're usually by yourself as a female and you're searching for help in any local Walgreens or Walmart that you can. So it was good to have a fellow girl there with a whole array of whatnot to help you out. That's right. Yes. Yes. We Oh, that was, that was, so like, okay. So let me just tell the story really, really quickly. 
Okay, so because you know I'm gonna do it. So we went, so we're at mass. It's like I don't even know what day it is. I guess no, it's Saturday morning. We go to mass. We're all standing there, and you know, Catholics at mass, up down, up down, kneel stand, kneel stand, up down, everything, whatever. So I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm wearing my normal outfit, which is basically like this flowy tunic and some skinny jeans and some cute shoes. I mean, that's pretty much all I wear when I'm giving my talks. <laughs> Pretty staples. basic. Yeah, they, they are the staples, a nice flowy top <laughs> so that I can, because it, I'm either pregnant, I just was pregnant, I'm nursing, so I need something I can just, uh, that's going to cover me in the appropriate way. So that's what yes. I'm wearing. And I'm describing my outfit for a purpose because I end up having this massive wardrobe malfunction. I don't know what it was. We were either sitting and we were kneeling and then I was, I was kneeling and I was getting up and I pull up my leg from kneeling to kind of stand up one at a time and my crotch of my pants just totally rips. And it was <laughs> just the most awkward and embarrassing feeling because I like I knew that nobody obviously could see from where I was. <laughs> but it's like you just know it's there. You know that you are exposed even though nobody can see you. And it's just the most... Awkward feeling. You should not have a draft in that area of your body when you're dressed. And so, and so oh my gosh, I was I like, I leaned over to you and I'm like, I've got a problem. And you're like, what is it? And I was like, I just, man, I just ripped my split pants. my pants. I just I ripped my, my pants. pants. That's right. So anyways, after mass, we were like running back and you're like, okay, what are you going to do? And I, I ended up bringing very limited clothing for some reason on that trip trying to just scale down my packing. And so I had only one other option for jeans, which didn't allow for other outfits to kind of the tops to go with them <laughs> anyway. So we ended up making it all work. And I ended up wearing one of your shirts, your drama-free shirts to my top. That's right. And you looked adorable. Thank Absolutely you. Adorable. I totally agree. It was a great shirt. As I usual. still love it. Still love That's it now. Right. It's great. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's very fitted on me now because I'm pregnant. So it's really cute when I wear my drama-free shirt and I have like this little you know, basketball uh, for my baby. baby bump. <laughs> it's just so cute. It's like, doesn't seem to go along with it. Like there's a lot of drama in my life. I have all these kids running around me and I'm pregnant, but it's, it's a, it's a good type it's of drama. It's the goal. It's the goal. We're it striving is. for it. Striving so Sarah, for it. you, we, we can talk, we can talk forever about a million things, but I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you specifically though, about, about something that I think is quite misunderstood. And that is the concept, the term of emotional chastity. Now, you are known for this. You are known about talking for relationships. You are like the person that people go to for talks on all of that stuff, on emotional virtue and emotional chastity and relationships and how to make the best of our relationships, platonic or romantic. So you give excellent chastity talks. You give excellent gospel talks. Like It's not just chastity. It's something so much deeper than just this one piece. You really incorporate the entire whole. And I love that about your work. And you can find out more from Sarah at emotionalvirtue.com. But I want to talk, like I said, is specifically about this one topic, which is emotional chastity. And I remember when I first heard that, I was like, it doesn't make any sense to me. I was like, I don't, right. I don't understand that because I thought chastity is just chastity. There's not like separations of what it is. It's just sure. chastity is the virtue. So why is there something called emotional chastity? And I, I remember in the beginning when I first heard this, and this is soon after my conversion. So way, I mean, way, way before I met you. And sure. I remember hearing this term and being like, 
this is exhausting. Like I'm already trying yes. to live chastity and now you have to yes. add another layer of like something else I got to do. Like go away. Do you know where I I've yeah. been? I, like, I know. I know. I know. So can you kind of <clears throat> explain that? And really like, I guess yeah. first, first tell me, cause you probably know better. What are the common like myths or lies or misconceptions about emotional chastity? Yeah. Okay, good. So story of my life. Hi. It is really hard. I mean, one of the things I actually, for a long time, I just really struggled with what, what are we even talking about? You know, so to back up a little bit, a little bit of like background on how it all came about, even how emotional virtue became a thing. My senior seminar at Benedictine College was with this guy. You might know him. His name is Dr. Ted Shree. He is the godfather of my oldest child. So that tells you my, of my four kids, my first one, Thomas, Beth and Ted are his godparents. So he was a major player in my life and in my conversion at Benedictine. And my senior seminar, he busted out this book. He's like, we're going to study this book. And the book was called, I don't know, you might've heard of it. It's uh, this uh, Love and Responsibility by St. John Paul II. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so I'm sitting there as a 20, you know, 21 year old, really just in the height of like, I think Swaff and I were like maybe almost engaged, you know? Okay, like, so I mean, I'm let me at- just, let me just stop you right there. When you yeah. say Swaff, you're talking about your oh, husband, My Andy husband, Swafford, yeah. right? The, cu- the cutest, yeah. The, the most awesome man of all time. Yeah. So his, our last <laughs> name is Swafford. So this is what happens when you marry your friends, right? Cause like everyone calls him Swaff. I was friends with him for years before. And then we started dating. I was like, I just kept calling him Swaff. And now he's my husband of 12 years and I still call him Swaff. So Students, he teaches at Benedictine and people call him Doc Swaff or Swaff Daddy or P. Diddy Swaff, which are all awesome. I love it when people call him David Hassel Swaff. That's my favorite. I think that's really funny. Um, (laughs) So I'm Swaff Mama or Mama Swaff. I'll go buy it all. It's totally great. So, but anyway, we're in class and he busts out this love responsibility and he kept talking about like sensuality and sentimentality and JP2 just has all these amazing, you know, things. And so, you know, Dr. Shri was talking about these things and he called it emotional chastity and Basically, it was like trying to find a term for that sensuality, sentimentality of relationships that's like not the physical part, really, but what kind of leads to that and like the emotions and the passions and blah, blah, blah. And I remember being in class and just being like, this is so good. I struggle with this so much, but like I didn't really have words to put to it. You know, it was just kind of like, oh, good, good, good. Yeah. So then uh, a couple of years later, I became a dorm director at Benedictine, which is like a dorm mom, you know? and. So Andy and I, Swaff and I lived in the dorms for three years and I took care of 142 freshman college women. And so I'm, you know, I'm living in the dorm, my two little boys, they were both under two. So I was like really just observing, you know, helping, like watching, ministering to these girls. And I remember one of the first weeks I was, you know, in the dorms, these girls were all huddled around a computer and they were like, Sarah, look at this. You got to see this. I'm like, what? And they all turned around and they're like, it's called Facebook. And I was like, what? Cool. You know? And so, I mean, I always tell people I went through junior high, high school, college, got engaged, got married, had kids before I even knew what social media was or what texting, you know, Snapchat, like, no, none of it. I didn't know what any of it really was. And I always tell people I would, I mean, I was a hot mess in high school without a phone. I didn't even need one, you know? And so I just, (laughs) I was starting to watch, like, watch, like what was going down to be honest, relationships wise, you know, over text and over, you know, social media, even in the beginning of all of of social media and like what it's advanced to, you know, and with Instagram and with, you know, obviously with Snapchat and all that. So anyway, I'm just in the dorms and 
I started pulling out my notes from that class. And I was just like, how do I explain sentimentality and like sensuality to like, you know what I mean? Like I was trying to dig into my like formation and my toolbox in my brain of just like, how do I help? Cause this is just dripping with like unsaid things and like girls dating guys in their minds and like guys saying things to me like, well, if I don't touch her, I'm not using her. And I'm like, uh, wait, hold up. You know, like I'm just trying, I really was like in this, in the middle of like college drama and it was awesome and I loved it, but it was almost like, how do I help them figure this out? You know? So in the, was, in, in the minds of these college kids and probably in the minds of a lot of us out there still today, it's the idea of like, well, chastity's just something that's going to pertain to my physical acts, my physical body with another physical person. And we've got to keep our, you know, keep our clothes on basically. And right. the idea is that you're seeing because of, you know, obviously the fantastic like precursor to theology of the body, love and responsibility, mm-hmm. which is the foundation of theology yep. of the body. And so yep. John Paul II wrote that first and it started with that philosophy because everything's got to go back to like your basis. Right. understanding the why. And so the love and responsibility book, which is not, I love this book. It's Ricky and I is one of our favorite books of all time. And yep. it's actually what we used as our marriage prep was love yep. and responsibility. And so in that book, which is not for the faint of heart, this is not like, no. oh, yeah. I've never read a theology book before. Don't pick up love and responsibility. <laughs> then. That is might yeah, might no. not be the best option to go down. You might just, you might just cry. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it is challenging. But the beauty of it, really quick, I just want to interject in case people yeah, are, are, are interested, is that so Dr. Ted Shree, who who taught your senior seminar about yep. this book, that he was probably laying his foundation for his book many years later, which yep. I would recommend if, yes. if, if, if maybe you're not somebody who reads a lot of theology books, that's fine. However, yep. start in a place where it's more digestible. And, and Ted's book, Dr. Shree's book is fantastic. And that is men women and the mystery of love. I'll make sure I add that to my show notes. That yeah. is a book that every, every Christian should have and they should be reading. It is fantastic. And so that's kind of the basis of, of really what he taught you. And that's what you were seeing in, in these kids. And that's why they're saying things like, well, I'm not using somebody cause I'm not touching them. Or like you said, a lot of, a lot of women who tend to do this, have these relationships and these this course of a relationship going on really in their heart and in their mind. And it's not even a reality. Right. Well, and I was starting to see things like there's a lot of like girls and guys who would, you know, I had lots of stories and I get these stories now, you know, it's like, well, we have been texting, you know, for like six months. But when I see her in public, she like doesn't talk to me or, you know, like girls will just be like, yeah, we're like, we're really serious. We're like about to date, you know, and they've been texting and doing, you know, Snapchatting for months. And then it's like, there's a lot of, I call it emotional limbo. You know, it's like, what are we like, you know, just what are we just, I call it the gray area in my book, you know, just like, we're just talking, we're just texting, we're just hanging out. Like, we don't really know what we are. There's like a ton of emotion and and like passion and feelings and then, you know, obviously sentimentality and sensuality flying around, but there's not like an actual relationship there. And, and maybe there is, but one person, you know, is more there than the other. And like, it's very confusing. And, you know, I was sitting there and that's why when I get asked, you know, what is emotional virtue? It's like, do you have six hours? Because it's not even something that, you know, it's not even something that can be defined in all honesty and and what it it can, but it's just, it takes a long time. So like when I was talking about emotional chastity with Dr. Shree, and just as we were kind of looking at that, you know, there was a lot of times where girls would say, will you get up and talk about what you talk about? And I was like, what do I talk about? And they're like, what you talk about 
And so when we, when I called it, when I started looking at it and saying like, I think it's kind of like this emotion stuff, but I didn't like, I mean, to be honest, I, I don't really love the, the term emotional chastity because what happens is there's nothing wrong with it. But what happens is people think chastity and they think abstinence because they think chastity is abstinence. And they think, oh, so Sarah and the whole world or, you know, the church wants me to like have emotional abstinence and not have any emotions. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That is like the complete opposite of what we're saying. Like, we're actually like, so I think it's really more like, you know, when you hear a word and you project what you think it is on a word, like that happens with chastity all the time. Right. And John Paul II knew that. And he even, he even began a chapter in the book, Love and Responsibility. I believe that the chapter is called the rehabilitation of chastity. <laughs> right. Right. And, and so and he talked yeah. about rehabilitating that word. Like, like we absolutely right. have to rehabilitate that word. I mean, our culture, I don't know if they're really honestly ready to real, but rehabilitate the word, but I think we're willing to rehabilitate and to take back in virtue. I think that that is becoming clearer and clearer as our culture continues to become more of a culture of death, more of a culture of use. And so Right. I think, yeah, it does take a little bit of explaining that emotional chastity is not the absence of emotion. Mm-hmm. It's not abstinence and neither is chastity, the absence of, of like being close to someone. Um, right. But it's an ordered and balanced approach to our actions, our words, our thoughts, our emotions, the whole person, because we're a whole person, right? Of body and soul. So right. we have to make right. sure everything is this ordered thing. I completely right. agree with you. I, I think it's difficult sometimes for people to get their head wrap, wrapped around. And it was for me, for sure. Yeah, and I had yeah. those misconceptions. I didn't even know what it was. Like, it didn't make sense to me. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm trying to embrace this whole chastity thing. And I'm not even quite sure if I'm doing it right. I mean, I, right. I, I mean, I know I'm not doing some behaviors I used to do, but how do you really take it in? And it really wasn't until I read Love and Responsibility and even with Dr. Shree's book and even listening to some of your talks that's helped heal some of my past and helped me understand mm-hmm. that like, I've got to have, I like, if I want to be whole, if I want to be healed, I need to be willing to take a look at every aspect of my life. And what am mm-hmm. I doing? How am I portraying right. my emotions? How am I sharing my life, my my heart with people in a way that's still in line with what I say I believe? And that's what emotional chastity, I think, really gets at. And that's the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was, I mean, yes. And that was one of the things that I think was really hard for me. I mean, people joke, they're like, Sarah, did you struggle with any of this? I'm like, I wrote a book on it. Like, you know, it's, it's just like, it took me 170 pages to explain what I mean by emotional virtue. And, you know, and because it's not just, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people hear it and like, want to like, throw it in the corner and be like, I don't want to deal with that or throw it in the corner and like, that's stupid. Or I throw it in the corner, especially I think a lot of guys, you know, it's funny. I always love to talk to guys pre my talk and then post my talk. And when I talk to guys, I'm like, what do you think I want to talk about today? Like at high schools, you know, and they're like, I have no idea, you know, and like, they, they're almost like, I don't even know if I care or want to know. And then when I'm done with my talk, they just look at me like, I feel like the top of my head was just blown off. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't even like, I will never look at women the same way again. Like, I don't even like, I never even knew that was like something that I struggled with. And I, you know, it's just so cool to watch guys and girls like, wow, you just articulated what I struggle with, but I didn't even know that I was struggling with that. But I am, you know, and so I always say like, gosh, you guys, like St. Thomas Aquinas and I have had many conversations about what to call this. And because he is, I mean, he's the king of, I mean, he's got virtue down and he knows he's like the king, right? And so when I was at, we were at a date night, uh, Swaff and I were on date night and I was like, I just feel like it's actually like virtue. Like virtue is the answer. I mean, emotions and passions, 
like they get a bad rap. You either want to push them down and not feel, or we want to let them completely control our lives because we're just, you know, it's more fun. It's more comfortable and emotions and passions are exhausting. So it's like, I don't even care. And what it is, is virtue is where it's at. It's that harnessing and training your emotions and passions to work towards the good. I mean, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas says that virtue is the habitual disposition to do good. It's that like comes so freely and so naturally to you that I just like naturally do what is true and good and beautiful. Like it's so natural to me. I'm, it's my habit. And like we have to do that in our actions, but we also have to do that in our head. You know, like our hearts were made to love, but our head was meant to lead. And I know for my, I mean, I know for a fact that when I was in high school and college and even now, you know, as a human being, sometimes we don't lead with our heads. Like we don't, we don't live in reality. We do, we live either the devil takes us down these crazy little rabbit holes and has us imagining these, you know, unbelievable things or, or tells us these stupid lies. And we like give him so much FaceTime where we should just turn him off. You know what I mean? And, and it's this battle in the, in the mind. And it's that battle to be the boss of your thoughts. And that was the battle that I wasn't, I was seeing not being talked about. I was, you know, I was hearing about, you know, the girls will look at me and say, you know, guys will look at me, girls will look at me and be like, Sarah, I get chastity. I'm not sleeping around. I can give you a Jason ever chastity talk right now. Like, I'm, that's not my problem. And it's like, well, good. But then they like start crying and they break down and they're like, but I'm a mess. And like, I, you know, I'm like in my head, I, I'm not enough. I'm never going to be loved. I just, I think that my fulfillment is going to be in this guy that doesn't even know who I am. And it has a girlfriend. Like, you know, I just, I was listening to all these stories and it was so complicated and it was so heavy and it was so hollow. And I just was like, man, I've got to figure out how to help in any way that I can. And this piece, this small piece of the puzzle that I don't know what to call other than emotional virtue is really where it was at. And watching men figure out like, wow, like I can use women because I like emotion, I hit on there and I manipulate their emotional vulnerabilities. And I know I do it to get what I want. And that's not okay. Like to listen to guys say, like, I know that I use women and like, I didn't even know I was doing it. And yeah. I've been not, I feel like my eyes have just been open and, and to hear women say, I forgot that guys have emotions and, and feelings. And like, I was totally using them and, and not even knowing it and not even seeing it, you know? And, and so just to, it, again, my ministry is a, a ministry of awareness. It's just like, there's no right or wrong. It's not like this is, oh, you're like, this is good or bad. You don't run into the confessional and, and you know, you don't have to like confess like, oh my gosh, I was like mentally stalking this guy. You know, like, that's not what it's about. It's about this awareness of what is this doing to my head and my heart? And like, how much emotional energy do I spend on worrying about X, Y, and Z when I could be investing in my relationship with Christ, investing in my relationship with other women, investing in my guy friends, investing in my life of virtue? Like, man, I spent so much time, and I know you did too, just really catering to things of the world that just yeah. did not matter. Yeah. And emotional, and emotionally trying to fill myself up, myself up with things that just... They weren't, it wasn't the game that I think the Lord wanted me to be, to be focused on. And it's really just a ministry of awareness. And then, Hey, we're human beings. Like we're emotional, passionate feeling when you feel anxious and you feel, you know, tempted and you feel insecure and you feel all these things like that's part of being a human being. You don't get to choose that. You don't get to say like, I don't want to be jealous of my friend right now because she found this awesome guy. Like it's going to hit you, right? It's what you do with that. That counts. That's virtue. And emotional virtue is preparing your heart and your mind and forming your heart and mind for when you know you're going to glance over and see that cute couple, how are you going to be prepared for that? And what are you filling your head and heart with, the true, the good, and the beautiful? Or are you filling your heart and head with lies and with insecurities that just don't need to be there? Right. And 
when it comes down to it, whenever I've been, I'm just listening to you talk right now, when it comes down to it, it, it seems that to me very clearly and what I know in my own life and my own practice of chastity, the full concept of it, emotional chastity, chastity in general, just the whole thing in terms right. of virtue. When you practice virtue, which chastity is just one of them, right. when you practice virtue in your life, when you're striving for it, you know, even if you fail, what I noticed immediately when I took on the virtue of chastity after I came back and I had this conversion and I, I, I left New York and I left my lifestyle, I left the modeling world, everything. And I made a commitment to Christ. I made a commitment to myself to live the way Christ was calling me to live. And the mm-hmm. first virtue I had to tackle for me was chastity because most of my life was living against it. And so what I experienced in living it in the fullest extent of that virtue, including emotional chastity, was it came down to one word. And I never would have thought that this is the word. This is the experience and the feeling and the truth of my life by taking on the virtue. But I had freedom. It was absolute freedom. It was invigorating the freedom I had to not let myself be used. The freedom I now had within the virtue of chastity to not use another man. The freedom I had to like let myself be loved the way that I was called to be loved by my creator, by my friends, by the guy that I was dating. That was empowering for me. That was something I was like, let me tell you something, hooking up and having sex with whomever you want or whatever, that's not freedom. That's Mm -hmm. not freedom. I know the world says it is, but you know Mm -hmm. it's not. Any person with a conscience knows it's not unless they've deadened it and silenced their conscience completely. But that's Mm -hmm. not the freedom that we're called right. to. And what I love about what you talk about is that it really offers freedom to people. It's beautiful. Right. It's so beautiful. Well, and I love what you just said about, you know, chastity and the freedom because that like for, I love listening to you and I love how God like works all of our conversions and testimonies together, you know, because I, you know, my life and my conversion story, you know, obviously like, you know, we all have our, our things that we struggle with and, you know, me, I wasn't out sleeping around, but it like me, my battle was really with this emotional side because what happened was, is I really saw my worth completely wrapped up into what men thought of me and what that like emotional affirmation, that was really where I found my worth. You know, I might've said, oh, I, I find my worth in God's eyes or, oh, I find my worth. And, you know, I, I had so many layers of like masks and facades and things that I would say, cause I was a good, you know, I had one world and like, you know, one foot in like the, I go to youth group world. I had one foot in, you know, another scene. I had one foot in this like perfectionist scene, like, you know, straight A student, athlete, or like whatever my, you know, good girl. you know, And I, I, I meet so many women and so many men that look at me and they're just like, yes, like my conversion was really a battle for my head and my heart and like on the inside, because I could be whoever people needed me. I was, I was needed me to be, I was a total chameleon. You know, it was like, oh, is this good for my image? Is this good for my reputation? Is this good for, you know, do you love me? Will you think more of me if I, you know, play this role? I mean, I was just so lost on who I was. And I 100% found my worth in like getting attention from guys or getting that like affirmation, whether it was physical or emotional from men. And so watching, you know, watching that play out, like you just said, there's freedom in that, yeah, obviously with chastity, there's freedom, but I believe that there's a, that there's a ton of freedom and emotional virtue because what happens is, is you take that view of yourself and you say, you know, like, I'm not going to be enough unless 
this guy affirms me or I'm not going to be enough unless this girl affirms me yes. physically, emotionally, yes. all this. And it really, I mean, for me, that was a huge part of healing in my college days was being, and that's a question I ask people a lot is I'm like, when you look at the opposite sex, what do you see? Because when I looked at the opposite sex, you know, before I found Christ, you know, wholeheartedly took that on and, and put Jesus at the rock of my life and in the center of my heart. When I looked at the opposite sex, I looked at potential for filling me up. I looked at, at a men and I said, I want you to like me so that you can like fill me up with whatever it is, whatever emotion I feel like I'm lacking or whatever it is that I feel like I'm lacking. You're going to help me fill me up. And I would have never said I was using them because that's not how I, you know, I'm not wired that way. I don't use people, but I use people all the time to get what I needed. And that was filling up my worth and seeing my worth as being this, whatever it was that I felt like I needed to be at that time. And so when I look at the opposite sex, you know, in college, when I look back, you know, there was not freedom there. I didn't have freedom to love the men in my life as brothers in Christ. Like I didn't because I needed them, you know, for my purposes. And when, when I look at men now and I see like the brothers in Christ and I see their struggles and what they fight, you know, fight through as men. And when, when I started, you know, when I met my husband and some of the men in my life that were, are just deep friends of mine from college, it was like the first time when I finally called out using people emotionally in my life. I, it was almost like this, like dark, you know, curtain fell from my eyes and I could actually see people for the first time other women that I would use, you know, to get what I want, other men that I would use to get what I want. And this curtain fell. And it was just like, oh my gosh, like my worth is found completely in Jesus Christ and what he thinks of me. And I can't, like, I, when I look at these other people, they're struggling with the same things I'm struggling with. And I want to be, I want to build them up. I don't want to be an obstacle in their way. And right. like, that's emotionally and physically. Right. And so when I started, this is when this all started seeping deep into my heart, my relationship with Christ went through the roof because I started focusing my attention on healing those insecurities in my life and those anxieties in my life and that perfectionism and that competition that I speak about so much because I think it's like this secret. It's this little secret that I think a lot of us don't want to talk about that we maybe struggle with or have struggled with, or, you know, it creeps up on people. And it's like, I don't ever want to use people. I would never want to use people. You know, we all say that. But sometimes, you know, it, it's like the devil tells you these little secrets and lies about yourself. And then all of a sudden you start questioning your worth and you start tearing yourself down. And it's like grasping at a, you know, clawing up a hill where you feel like you're slipping. And it's like, I'll do anything I need to do to feel enough. Right. And I think Jesus just says, come here, sit down, sit, sit down, just come here, child. Like, you know, like you're just looking at all the, the wrong places. And that's what that freedom is, is to be able to go, turn to Christ and say, yeah. Like I see you, like, I see you, you see me, you know, you like, I'm here with you. Like you love me and all my imperfections and all of my grasping and all of my insecurities. Like you love me and help me to see like my brothers and sisters in Christ for who they are and the beauty that they are. But and that is, that is used. so important. That is so important, especially. And I mean, I say, especially, but I mean, it's important for everybody on a personal note. Let me just phrase it better that way for women, for women. I mean, this is what I call FFC. Female Fight Club. The Female Fight Club <laughs> is when we all come together, all of us women, and we just compare and we tear each other down and then we tear ourselves mm -hmm. down because I'm not like her. I don't have what she has. I don't look like that. I don't have her life like this. It's Female Fight Club and we're just beating the crap out of each other in the right. middle, like all together. It does no good. This is not healthy. And when, right. when you place your worth, your value, whatever you emotionally need, because emotion is a part of the human person. It's how God made us. 
Christ had them as well, although they were perfectly ordered and balanced. When they're not ordered and balanced and when they're going crazy, they don't just affect our romantic relationships. They affect our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It also affects our relationship with our very self and how and, yeah. and our relationship with God. Because when you're used to a relationship of use in friendships or romantic relationships, you will then begin to seep that into your relationship with God. And you'll use God for whatever you think you need from God at that moment. And so this sense of freedom with emotional virtue that it offers us, offers us freedom on all levels. Christ doesn't just help you in one area. It, it, it seeps into everything. And that's what's so beautiful about what you're talking about with emotional virtue is that the freedom that it offers us. I mean, I think of so many, I know them. I know a woman right now who have reached out to me, sent me emails, sent me Instagram messages, which I read them all. And they mm-hmm. are absolutely in relationships of use mm-hmm. and they don't see it. Right. They don't see it. And they'll send me these messages and they'll send me these emails, Sarah. And it's just like, to me, of course, on the other side, praise be to God for his grace. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see it. And I'm like, how, how can I explain this in a way that hopefully you'll get it? Because all I want to say to them, and maybe if this is you right now, if this is you right now, number one, you're not a lost cause. You know, we still love you. Of course, God loves you. And you have a lot of good to contribute to this world. But if you happen to be possibly thinking maybe in the same position, just ask yourself this question. What do you think your life would be like? Like, can you imagine your life if how you valued yourself, your worth, your importance, your purpose, your own passions, if they were not dependent upon another human being? And if, if, I, yeah. if, if you can get to a point of like, you don't even know what that would feel like or be like, then you probably should honestly read Sarah's book, Emotional Virtue, <laughs> I have. And, and it is fantastic. And that's not just go buy something. No, this has got amazing information that might help uncover and unveil and heal some things within yeah. you. Because if you can't imagine a freedom like that in your life, I mean, Christ is calling you to this freedom. He is calling you to a freedom where you are, you are putting your worth and your value on him. He is the rock. He is the one who will not move. He shows us our identity, our vocation, our dignity, all of it. And Sarah, you speak so beautifully to all of that. So, so let me back up. What would you say? Like, what advice would you give right now to those who might be in that position or to those people listening right now who know somebody who's in that position? What can they say to that person? Like, what would you say? What piece of advice can you give? Right. One of the things that I think is really important, and I know you will echo this as well, is especially as women, this is a lifelong battle. And I remember when I was in college, I actually went to confession one time at this retreat. And I went in and I, I just, I lay, I just laid out everything I was struggling with, like everything we're talking about in this talk, you know, in this podcast of just like, you know, insecurities, mistakes, anxieties about the future, just not feeling enough, feeling bitter about, you know, my situation in life and feeling really, really empty. And I remember this priest just gave me the most amazing, it was life-changing just advice. And he said, Sarah, this is what I want you to do. He said, I want you to build a box and I want you to put everything that you're struggling in that box. I want you to put it in this box and I want you to drop it off at the feet of someone who can actually do something about it. He said, I want you to lay it at the feet of Jesus and I want you to fall into his arms and I want you to let him love you like no human man can. And he said, you, he's like, Sarah, you have been going around trying to find men who will be your savior. And Sarah, you don't need a savior because you already have one. 
Jesus can be your savior. And every man that you try to make an idol and a God that you think is going to completely fill you up, you are going to destroy that man because that is too much pressure for him. He cannot be your God, but he, he can, you know what I mean? And, and God can be the one that can save you from all of this, everything that you're struggling with. He can take that from you. And he said, I want you to fall into his arms and I want you to let the Lord love you. And when you feel strong and you feel whole and you've been healing, I want you to stand up and I want you to run with our Lord. And when you've been you know, running and you've been striving and you've been growing, I want you to glance to the side and see who's running with you. And maybe that's who you're supposed to be with. And that night changed my life because he was right. He, I was looking for men to be my God. I was looking for a savior to save me from myself because I was so worried that I was never going to be enough on my own. And when I finally started looking at myself and seeing myself through new lenses and seeing myself the way Christ saw me, it was like a whole new world opened up to me. And I was able to see men for who they were. And I was able to see myself for who I was. And I was able to drop off everything I was struggling with in that confessional. And to this day, that is why, I mean, I go to confession every month and I, I write down things and you know, I mean, I'm telling you and I'm telling the ladies out there and the men out there, like, this is going to be a lifelong battle of feeling like making sure that you feel like you're enough. Like, Lord, like I want to be enough for you. It's like, nope, that's still not how it's done. Like you are always going to be enough for me. And I love you just the way you are, but too much to leave you there because I want you to live this life of freedom and virtue. And I want you to grow and I want you to continue healing and just keep rocking your life of virtue with me, running with me, taking others with you. Like that is what I want for you. And so it's just really beautiful. I mean, that, that's my advice right now is don't go looking for a savior. You already have one. Take everything you're struggling with, put it into the confessional, take a, write it out, take it into that confessional, drop it off. And see yourself the way Christ sees you. You're loved. And then, I mean, I love the name of your podcast. Do something beautiful. Do something beautiful with your life and love people the way they deserve to be loved. See people for, for the struggling human beings that we all are. And let's just help take each other to the throne. Take each other to Christ. Like, that's where we need to be. Amen. Amen. Like, this is the moment in your talk when people are standing up and they're growing crazy. Like, I can see right. you giving this talk at that moment. <laughs> and people being like, yes, I can do it. I can do this. <laughs> right. I feel excited just listening to him. I'm like, yes, I can. I'm going to do this. I've, I've been taking notes while you've been talking. I got some things oh, myself God. that I'm going to mention in my next confession. It's awesome. I mean, Sarah, so, 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 so good. So, okay. Outside oh, of that, what are some other resources that you would offer people? I mean, number one, I would definitely recommend, let me quickly just do it for you. Emotional Virtue, your book. All of this will be in the show notes. And I will include what Sarah just said about her last piece of advice in there as well. So Emotional Virtue, that is an excellent book. I think it's very, very good. It's very helpful. What I love about this book too, is that this is practical. This is crazy practical. Like the how-tos, they're all over this book. I have picked it up. And before I actually read it, I I picked it up and I just read a little bit here. I read a little bit there and it was fantastic. And for me, I enjoy enjoy sometimes having a book like that. You know, I know some books Mm -hmm. you really do need to go one page at a time, chapter by chapter, because everything builds in such a way. And not that this one doesn't, but I'm, I was so thankful that I could pick this up sometimes. And it was just this Holy Spirit moment. And I would read this paragraph and I'd read some of your like challenges. And I'm like, yes, I needed that. Like that was, that makes sense. And so I would definitely say the first resource is emotional virtue. Sarah, what, what, what else could you offer? Yeah. I always try to remind, I always try to remind people that I actually, I wrote the book for men and women. And I always try to remind, like, I, if there's any guys out there that are, you know, listening and they're looking for just a book of just like, how do I 
go about this life with, you know, not only with emotions and passions and virtue and chastity and all this stuff, but just like, what am I supposed to, a lot of people will tell me, I know everything I don't want. I know everything I don't want to do, but I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Like, like, what am I supposed to be doing? You know, and that, that answer is virtue, but that's a really complicated answer. And it took me, you know, like I said, 170 pages. And so I just really want to encourage the men and women out there. If you're just looking for something really easy, it's almost like you're having a conversation with me. It's a really easy read. I wrote it so that the men would be okay, you know, that the men would pick it up and read it as well. And so I would say that the book is a great place to start. I also would say a couple of years ago at the Focus Conference, the SEAT Conference, I gave a talk to men and women and I, I laid it all out and that became a Lighthouse CD. And so that CD is also on my website. If you have someone, especially if you're dating someone and you're just like, I, I don't even know where to start, but I know that I want to like insert this into our relationship. Sometimes it's easier to have like to listen to it together or even to read the book together. There's discussion questions at the back. I know a lot of couples that have told me that they like would go on, like read a couple chapters, go on a date and do the discussion questions. And that would be like their dinner date conversation. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. So there's a lot in the book and a lot in the CD that I think would be helpful, especially if you're, if you're single and you're trying to figure life out, or if you're even dating someone and you're trying to figure out how to take your, your relationship to the next step with virtue. And, you know, obviously with chastity and just where you want to go with it. So those two things are there. And then on my website, there's also a couple books by my husband. He is just fantastic and really nails a lot of the virtue stuff as well. And then EWTN asked me to do a like a mini series. And so I sat down and, and talked for three hours about relationships one time and they have that into a DVD. So if you're more of a watcher, you'd rather like watch it. That's there as well. But, but yeah, I also want to just echo men, women, and the mystery of love. Again, that book is really good. If you want to my book is a great first book. That book is a great like second step if you want to go deeper into it and deeper into that. But my book is really easy to read and, and really I wrote it for junior high to you know 35 year olds. But my my 86 year old grandparents read it and loved it. So I always say 13 to 86 <laughs> is pretty much where it's at. So yeah, I love it. I love it. Awesome, yep. Sarah, you're awesome. I mean, I hate that word because it just it just <laughs> sounds like everything's awesome, right? But you are. I love everything that you do. I love who you are. And and I'm so thankful. Number one, I'm thankful that you are just my friend. You are such a good girlfriend to me. And you have shown me so many ways to love the Lord better. And the witness of you and Andy and your marriage and your amazing kids have just been such a inspiration to me and Ricky on so many occasions. And it's just you're very intentional in your friendship and you're very intentional in your work for the Lord. And everything that you do comes from the bottom of your heart. And you are truly you're really changing lives. You really are making a difference in people and how they love each other and you're making the world better. Um, And to me, that's definitely just one of the many things that you're doing that's beautiful for the Lord and beautiful for our, our world. So thank you for just, yeah. Thanks for just being you, Sarah. Well, yeah, that means a lot. You're so sweet. Thank you so much. I'm going to say ditto because I know I'm probably going way over time because I talk so much because I feel the same exact way about you. So Thank you for doing something beautiful with your beautiful with your life every moment of your life as a wife and a mother and a minister. Thank you. You are very welcome. Well, okay, so I have a few more things for you. I ask all of my all of my guests for a challenge at the end, but I'm going to ask that mm. for you at the end. But before okay. that, this is something new I'm doing. I got this I some other podcasts do this and I was on one recently as a guest and I was asked some questions at the end and I thought those are kind of fun. So, I have okay. come up with five things. Five I feel like things. I'm on a game show. It is like kind of game, game showy. I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So these have nothing to do with anything okay. we've talked about. Completely irrelevant. 
And okay. so there are five questions I want to ask you. The five things of Sarah Swafford. Here we go. Number oh, one, you cannot name the Bible. So without the, with the Bible out of the oh, running, gosh. what is your favorite book? Oh my gosh. I knew you were going to say that. So far. So far. Oh my gosh. Oh, I am terrible at this game. Look, the, the buzzer already went. You're wrong. Okay. So I am going to say anything by Father Jacques Philippe. No, no, you cannot do that. You Dang must it. name a book. Okay. You must name a book, Sarah. Name a book. Um, I am the host. I get to call. I get to make okay. the rules. <laughs> I'm going to say, um, okay, I'm going to say one of the last books I read that really honestly changed my life was Lift Up Your Heart by Father John Burns. Yes. Yes. Changed my life. I mean, changed my life. Yeah. You sent that to Ricky and I. Yeah. I'm just, I really can't say enough things. I mean, yeah. it's a 10 yeah. day retreat book. It's good. amazing. So I got to good. day one and that was probably two months ago. It was great. No, it, it took, I told father, I told father, I was like, it took me a month to read because I'm a mom, but it was life changing. Yeah. I loved it. So, day, yeah. day one for me, 60 days ago was wonderful. Looking forward to <laughs> day two for finish me. It. Finish it. You have to finish it. It's so good. Chris, <laughs> my advent. Make it your advent read, girl. Make it your Maybe advent read. Do, I mean, yes, at least I'm honest. Look, I'm being honest. I'm not saying. No, it's I, good. I'm well, I was it. honest with father, the author. I was like, I'm sorry. It did not take 10 days. It was 30. But hey, I made it and it changed my life. So, right. Yes. And I'm like, okay, I know exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, I, right. I agree. But it is very good. So lift up your heart. I'll make sure to include that in the link in the show notes. Yes. All right. Question number two of the five things of Sarah Swafford. All right. Gosh. Question number two. So Quicker. let's assume in the very, very distant, distant future. Okay. You die and you go to heaven. Okay. 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 You reach the pearly gates. Mm -hmm. What do you personally, what would you like to hear from Jesus? Oh, well done. My good and faithful servant. That's good. I figured you would go straight to scripture. Good for you. I know. I think that would be good. But we all do. I think we all can want that. That's that's fantastic. Or at least I hope so. All right. Number three, what are you not very good at? Cooking. Really? Like, no, I, I am like a total necessity cooker. Do you know what I mean? Like my children need to eat. Therefore I cook. Whereas like I watch some of my friends and they're like, Oh, I just whipped up this like gourmet such and such. I'm like, Oh, awesome. I know who you're that talking about. Me, that I know who you're talking me, like, about. 12 hours. Like, Let's just no. call her out right now. Jackie Francois, Francois Angel. Let's I just know. call her she's out like, because Jackie's that friend that we have <laughs> and she has this amazingly with decorated this home and she's right. got these great meals that she makes and you're like, how do you do Hi. all of Hi. this? Hi. Well, and my whole thing is like, it's not just cooking it, right? It's like getting in the car, going to the grocery store, getting everything <laughs> you need for it, not missing an ingredient, getting back in the car with your four, my four children, getting out of the car, putting it all away, getting it back out like measuring it out, putting it in the pan and then spending two hours. And if I burn it, I swear I am just like, no, that did I not give just up happen, on life right? at that like, point. By the yeah, time so, you go to the store and do all those things you just said, I am so sick of looking at that stupid food. I am over yep. it. I'm like, I'm done, right. man. I'm and done. then I have to, and then like my husband does all the dishes. So I'm like, dude, if I had to do the dishes too, I would just be like, we're having gel- peanut and jelly for every meal of our life. <laughs> like that's just what's happening. Like but yeah, so I guess I guess that when I go to the pearly gates, I think Jesus is going to say, "Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're welcome for the invention of the crock pot." That is exactly <laughs> what he's going to say to me. I'm like, "That's going to be what it is." So, and for the record, you. Jackie, we love you. We totally yeah, love ja- you, Jackie. You're my inspiration. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. She, Jackie's just one. Jack, let me tell you something. Jackie's just one of those 
one of those women in your life where she helps you in the virtue of of loving your sister in Christ and not being jealous. You're like, no, I have to I have to applaud the gifts that God has given you. And she's just very she's just very talented and gifted in all these different ways. And then she sings and then she married a guy with a last name, Angel. Angel. You're just like, of course, of course she did, Jackie. But she, if she was on this line, she would be like, stop, stop, just stop. And I will tell you what all the things I can't do. Like, that's what she would say right now. So <laughs> I know and, that, and she would be, and she would snap her fingers and she would move her, her, you know, she'd wave her hand. So yeah, she would, she would be putting the slam down on this right now. So it's, she's it's an all inspiration. good. I we have all to, have our gifts. We, we do. Have gifts. I have to constantly text her about like how to decorate my fireplace mantle. And because I have no, I, I've, I'm so terrible at decorating and everything involved with like the home. So she's always telling me, just do this. And then I do it. And then it looks like I end up doing something with like candles and flowers. And then the whole thing ended up looking like I thought it was good. And then Ricky comes home. He's like, Leah, it looks like a memorial. It looks like someone died. And we're remembering with somebody flowers. with these candles and flowers. And I'm like, I'm trying so hard. Anyway. I know. Okay. I always try to channel my inner Jojo games. You know, I'm like, what would Jojo do? That's exactly. usually what I say to exactly. myself. So, yeah. Jackie's yep. great. Jackie's great. Okay. All right. Number four. Number four, okay. the five things. Sarah Swafford, here we go. On a scale of okay. one to 10 and honest, like completely honest. No one, you have to answer this just for yourself, not to how okay. it's going to sound to anybody else. On a scale of one to 10, honestly, sincerely, okay. how weird are you? Oh, man. One is not weird at all. 10 is like, that's something. That's, yeah, I don't even know what to say about something. that. I think I would say I'm a five. Like I, I can, I'm a very normal person, but I have like, I have weird times, but I also have very like normal times. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I'm kind of cool. Yeah. I try yeah. to be cool, but I also have like moments where it's like, that may have been weird, not cool. So yeah, I'm right. going to go with five, like right in the middle. That's honest. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Last question. If you okay. could be anything except what you like you're doing now, if, if you, you could oh. be anything or do anything, what would oh. it be? I totally know. I totally know. I just had this conversation with Swaff. Okay. In another life, in another world, I would have loved to have been a sideline reporter for like NFL or like MLB. Like I would have loved, I would love to be a sideline reporter at like major sporting events. I can completely see that. I mean, 100%. Yeah. Like Erin Andrews and I, like I, like, I feel like I could be friends with her. I feel like I would love to do what she does. That's just so fun. <laughs> like, I'm serious. I watch sports and I'm like, that is so fun. You're like on the sideline. You get a great seat. You get to be like, jump up and, you know, like go into there like right after like, how did you feel about that last play? I don't know. What do you think? Like, I could just totally do it. I just think it'd be so fun. Sarah, I don't think so, yeah. anybody who's ever heard you give a talk <laughs> would be surprised at that, at that answer at My all. Da- my dad always thought I was going to be a weather girl. Uh, so I think, I don't know. My dad's like, I thought you were going to be a weather girl, a weather girl. So I don't know, maybe sideline reporter, you know, moonlighting as a weather girl at the 10 o'clock news. That's probably what I would have been. So yeah, but okay. God knows what he's doing, man. He knows what he's doing. And I would have never told you in a million years that I would do what I do now. I would just be, a, it would be, I would have laughed at you. My friends actually, who I went to high school with, a couple of them came to one of my talks and they were like, you would like, shake so bad and like borderline cry in speech class in high school. Like how in the world did that just happen? I was like, that is the power of Jesus. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. Amen. That's how it works. Amen to that. All right, Sarah, thank you for answering the five things. Now for the very last moment we have, what challenge can you give our listeners today? Mm. Okay. I was thinking about this when you asked me that earlier, and that's really hard. 
Okay. So my challenge is I always say, if you just think about what you want to do, it's wishful thinking, but if you write it down, they become goals. And so what I want, I, my challenge to everyone is to write down five things that you really want to challenge yourself in, in growing in virtue. Like what are the five things that you would love to do to up your game, like in your, your virtue game, right? And I have this, these lists in my book and, and they're actually, they're on the website as well at emotionalvirtue.com, but it shows you just like virtues you can live out. So like maybe go pick like three or five of the things that you're like, I, I like, I really want to grow in this because you name it, you claim it, you write it, you own it. And then I would write down five things. I really challenge, especially the women out there. I want you to write down five things that you like really and truly see as a gift or a talent that God has given you three to five things that you, to be honest, like you just, you really see it as a gift. And it's so easy to tear ourselves down and to say, I'm not this and I'm not that. And I'm, I'm not, I don't look like this. And I, you know, it's so easy to make that list of five things you, you're not. What are five things that you are beautifully and genuinely like God gave you these gifts and write them down. And I, and I want you to put them somewhere and I want you to add to that list because, you know, it's a, it's a battle, you know, battlefield of the mind, right? This is a game that the devil wants to play and he wants to put insecurities into your heart and into your mind. He wants to mess with you. And when you can call him out and be like, that is not from our Lord, you know, like, like even to this day, I mean, Leah, I know you do too. You know, like there'll be thoughts that come to my head and I'm like, that is a straight up lie from the devil. And I'm going to yep. call that out because that is a lie. And when I didn't do that back in the day, I would like sit there and like, think about it and try to like, say like, well, no, I'm not. And I'd, I'd like try to justify like, am I, or gosh, like I am. And it's like, why am I even giving this guy lip service? Like, no, like that is a bold faced lie. And like Jesus, I tell sloth sometimes I'll be like, speak truth to my heart. Like, this is the lie that the devil's telling me, like speak truth to my heart. So like turn to the people in your life, your family, your friends, people who hold you accountable and just say, I'm like, I'm believing this. And like, I know it's a lie, like speak truth to my heart, you know, and, and then be that friend that speaks truth to others too. And really just lift each other up out of those times where we, we doubt and we fear and we just don't think we're enough. So three to five things that you want to like work on that you want to grow in virtue in. And then three to five things that you see as like God given gifts and things that you really love about yourself and your life. And then keep adding to those lists and keep growing. Excellent. You never disappoint, Sarah. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I love hanging out with you. Oh my gosh. I. Me too, girlfriend. Me too. That's right. All right. And thank you so much for listening once again to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. We are so thankful that you are a part of this great community. You guys are amazing. Honestly, you are amazing. I love everybody who listens to this podcast. You guys are fantastic. You are so kind. I love the messages that you send me. Thank you so much. If you have been able to go to iTunes and leave me the five stars and a review, it really helps get this podcast more recognized and known, which means more people will be able to hear these great interviews from people like Sarah and be inspired to do something beautiful for the Lord. So with that, thank you so much. I am praying for you. I know Sarah is praying for you. Praying for you guys. Yes. Amen. And whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for the Lord. God love you and God bless. And we'll talk to you soon. 